welcome to Into the Fire, a Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series. Hi, this is Jerome Davis. I'm the Artistic Director of Burning Coal Theater Company, and I'd like to welcome all of our listeners to Into the Fire, the Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series on all things theatrical. Our guest today is a gentleman who has been uh, more or less with the company for the entirety of its existence, uh, lighting designer extraordinaire Matthew Adelson. Matthew, welcome to Into the Fire. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, You're in town uh, lighting Ash in Johannesburg, which uh, will premiere at Burning Coal on January 24th and run through February 10th here at the Murphy School. Um, But you've been uh, working with us for a long time. We were just talking about that before the uh, audio started to roll. You uh, started in our second season here at Burning Coal with Einstein's Dreams. Is that right? Yeah, Einstein's Dreams was the first show I did here in your second season. Yep. And I've done that show many times after. Uh, here and elsewhere. Yeah, I've done Einstein's Dreams uh, twice here and then in Washington and in New York. All and that Rebecca. was for Rebecca Holderness yep. each mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Yes. Who it appears may be coming back to direct for us next season. So something to look forward to there uh, for sure. Matthew, um, let's go back to your early days. I know that you uh, live in Massachusetts now, but you're originally from New York City. Is that correct? Yeah, I was not born in New York, but I lived and grew up in New York City most of my life, uh, except for the years I was in school. And I was uh, living in New York City until 2005. Where, where were you born? In Geneva, Switzerland. No kidding. Your parents were um, on the lam or no? My, uh, my parents lived in Geneva for seven years. Uh, my father had a job working there. A diplomat? Uh, no, he worked for a real estate development company oh. in Western Europe and North Africa. Very interesting. And so uh, my parents lived in Geneva. I was born there and we moved back to New York when I was three. That's uh, very, very interesting. Do you have any recollection of living in uh, None. Switzerland? None at all. Have you been back? Since? I've been back, but I've never, uh, I've never, I don't have any memory of growing up there, though. That's interesting. Well, and from there, it was straight to New York City, to, yes. to Manhattan. Yeah. Yep. And uh, just out of curiosity, where in New York did you live? Uh, I grew up on uh, 78th and Madison on the Upper East Side. Mm-hmm. Very good. And your parents uh, were, uh, your father was still involved in real estate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's uh, passed away now, but yeah, he did that his whole career. And your mom uh, was an artist? My mother was a dancer with New York City Ballet. Uh So that's how a lot of this came to be. Uh, She uh, danced with New York City Ballet until uh, the mid-1960s. Wow. That explains the grace with which you um, hang lights. And, Absolutely. Uh, very good. But did, is that uh, really, uh, seriously, is that what got you interested in uh, lighting? Or how did that come about? Uh, well, um, the arts were a very big deal in my family growing up. And I was exposed to a lot of it uh, because of uh, what my mother had done and my parents' interest in that. And also being in New York City, which is sort of a mecca of all of the performing arts. Uh, so I was, uh, I grew up with a big interest, appreciation, understanding of it, but it wasn't really something I thought of doing professionally. It was really only in college where I sort of, uh, developed an interest in being a designer. I mean, I'd be very, uh, 
scared of the five-year-old who tells his parents he wants to be a lighting designer when he grows up. It's, <laughs> it's sort of like sushi. It's an acquired taste. Right, uh, and the mature uh, taste at that. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so uh, where was undergrad for you? Uh, I went to SUNY Albany, undergraduate, mm -hmm. and then I went to graduate school at the Yale Drama School. Right, Yale School of Drama. And by the time you got to Yale, you knew lighting was your... Your thing. Yeah, I uh, I had been a lighting uh, intern at the Williamstown Theater Festival in Massachusetts the summer before my senior year of college, and that sort of cemented for me the, the idea of being a designer. Did you yes. have a chance to work with good designers who influenced you? Yeah, I, I uh, when I was at Williamstown was one of the last shows that Tom Skelton lit uh, before he passed away, and I remember you know watching that whole process. Um, when I was in New York and I was still working as an electrician, I worked on one of the last shows that Theron Musser lit, mm -hmm. uh, which was a, a super experience. And I studied with Jennifer Tipton at Yale. Yeah. So and how, was, how was that experience? You had a, a classes with her? Oh, yeah, for three years. Yeah, every week for three years. Uh, I thought it was great. I mean, you really spend uh, three years learning her very specific technique. Uh, which is something I had seen a lot of her work, especially in dance, mm -hmm. uh, previously, and I was uh, I was really drawn to the way she approached lighting and approached thinking about theater and approached thinking about making a piece, and so it was really great to to have those three years learning her process. I think you you go there and you learn a very specific way of doing something. And then you leave and you take that and tailor it to who you are as an artist. And tell me about that tailoring process. Uh, I know that she's kind of known industry-wide for an interest in um, white light uh, as opposed to color and uh, kind of stark uh, and shadowy, shadowy um uh, designs. Is that a fair description of what she's interested in? Well, I think that... I've actually seen pieces she's lit that's had a lot of color in it, really. I don't think it's so much about the lack of color as much as it is about the specificity of the choice of what the color is and why it's there and what you're doing with it. Mm -hmm. And that it's not just some sort of random choice of, oh, I think this scene should be blue or red or yellow or mm -hmm. something. It's about what's the story that's being told and what are the people doing and who are they and where are they going and coming in from and what is the set and the whole space. And that leads you to determining, among many things, what the color is. Uh, and sometimes it's a very specific color, and sometimes it's no color. But that's really, I think, how I learned from her about that. So is, is the approach then uh, uh, more about the, the text itself and less about an, a broader aesthetic idea, is that, is that the idea? I think it's about the idea of what everything is happening in this space. What's the scenery? What are the costumes? What is the director doing? What are the actors or the dancers or the, whoever the performers are doing? What is the music or the sound? What's the whole picture that you're part of and what does the lighting do with that? Is it very naturalistic? Is it not? How fast are the cues? What's the angle of the light? Um, is there a specific source of light idea mm -hmm. and of course what the color is also but that the color is just such a just an such an important choice that it's just not something that you sort of just think of to do I think right. the color really comes from everything else that's going on it's on stage not, uh, this would look cool uh, so let's put it in or um, uh, we happen to have this amount of 
gel left over exactly. from the last show. Let's that's, use right. It to, that's right. That's right. 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 So that's interesting. That's right. um, but uh, but then if that's the case, then it seems to me that at least at Jennifer Tipton's level, um, that the choice of material that she works on uh, goes very much hand in hand with. Um, with how she's perceived in the industry, right? If she's, because she is, I mean, there, it is a, uh, it's a joke is far too strong a word, but it is a, a cliche almost that she uh, is teaching her students to work without color, without much color. And, and, sure, and, yeah. And I mean, of, that's sort of like, well, that's the, you know, that's the, the funny part of it that people always say. I, uh, what I think is always so interesting about that is that I just don't think that's really true. I think that, I've done many shows with lots of color and lots of intense color. Right. Uh, so, uh, so that's uh, that's interesting to hear, Matthew. Um, when uh, the when you're early in your career and you're just starting out, how do you get um, work as a lighting designer? What are the steps that one uh, takes? Is it about um, connections that you made in college? Is it about offering up your services to people who have a bit more experience than you? How do you p progress from from that the receipt of that master's degree into the field? I think there, there are certainly many ways to do it. I think a lot of people, me included, started out by doing a certain amount of assisting, of assisting other designers on their shows, and you get to sort of meet other people in the industry by doing that. And how do you get those jobs? Uh, how do you get the assistant uh, jobs? Uh, I think a lot of it is going to the place where you want to live and contacting the people who are working there and talking to them and having an interview with someone. And uh, that's sort of what I did. And you'll get a certain amount of assisting work that way. And then also developing your own work. Um, uh, there are directors who I worked with at Yale who I continue to work with today. And it's about the peers of your own who are doing the same things you're doing and meeting them and working with them. I think it's not so much about a director um, who's going to pick you out of the crowd somehow as much as it is developing your own relationships with directors or choreographers or people like that who are your own peers of your own age and you can start off doing smaller shows with them and then as their work progresses, so would yours. I mean, that's sort of how I began working with Rebecca, mm -hmm. actually. I remember uh, uh, seeing a, a Shakespeare play that she did in a, seemed to me, a cinder block warehouse in Manhattan. Do you remember that show? The, it was lit with flashlights, I believe. Right. I think that... Cymbeline, maybe? Yes. I'm trying to remember. I don't know that I did that particular one, but I started working with her very early on when we were both just done with graduate school. And uh, I did a lot of shows with her, sort of just like that. But she was at Columbia, and you were at Yale. So how yeah. did your paths cross? When I when when I finished Yale, I worked as a designer for a year or two with the Lincoln Center Theater Directors Lab, uh, okay. and she was a part of that. And so I met her that way. Right, right. And I knew her by then as well. Um, that's that's an interesting connection. Um, when you uh, think about uh, as a young person, I'm, I'm harping on you as a young person because I think it's the most interesting um, 
thing that we can tell listeners is how to begin in this field and you know because sometimes it seems impenetrable it mm. seems like professional uh, life in the theater is something that those other people do mm. over there and uh, so I'm curious um, the impulse for actors and directors I think is to get a group of like-minded people in a room and put on a play uh, is that impulse useful for a lighting designer or is it better to uh, wait until you're able to work in an environment that's more close to a fully professional one? Well, I think you want to start doing it as quickly as you can in whatever the situation is. I don't think you want to necessarily wait for some perfect moment to arise Mm -hmm. because then it'll probably be too late and it might not really happen that way. I think most everyone starts out, whether they're in New York or Chicago or wherever, doing small shows with not very much money and not very much stuff and making it work and you know I've done shows with people with lots of things that aren't even traditional stage lights because that wasn't what was available Mm -hmm. and you sort of have to start that way I think it's you know if you wait for the right perfect great moment of some huge fancy thing to happen it just probably won't Mm -hmm. or it's just highly unlikely it will and It also doesn't allow you to develop your work yourself, which you need to do on a smaller level when the stakes are a little lower. And that's how you sort of start to figure out what your aesthetic is and how do you work and how do you approach making something look. Mm -hmm. One of the best uh, lit productions I ever saw was a 20 minute cut uh, from uh, uh, Waiting for Godot that was at a fundraiser event at the Bank Street Theater, um, Uta Hagen's theater Mm -hmm. and uh, Jennifer Tipton lit it. as I looked at it, I seemed to recall that there were only four instruments in the air, or only four that were on during that particular thing. Is is um, more better in lighting? Uh, it really depends on the show. I mean, if you're doing a huge, fancy musical with lots of uh, lighting gestures that have to do lots of things very quickly right. in a very complicated way, then you need a lot of things but you can do something very beautiful with just one light. I think it really depends on what the piece is. A lot of times when I see shows on Broadway or in the bus and truck houses, you know, it seems like there's a lot of stuff happening with lighting and and I'm gonna, I I think you agree with me about this, but I'm gonna just say it anyway. Uh, It's not meant as a besmirchment of your, your particular industry, but it seems like there's a lot of lighting happening to convince the patron that they spent that $200 for something, you know. And do you see that in the industry now? Uh, uh, Well, I think that fancy automated lights that do lots of tricks used to be very rare and complicated and expensive. And they still are, but a lot less so. So it used to be where you could only do certain kinds of stuff or effects unless you had a lot of money and a lot of resources and a lot of people to work with you and now a lot of that equipment is very readily available so more and more you can do more fancy type of things Mm -hmm. and I think people certain audiences expect that in certain kinds of shows Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's a correlation to feeling that they've gotten their money worth on a ticket price Mm -hmm. but I feel that certain shows the producers of the show and the people making the show feel that it needs that kind of lighting. But I don't, you know, I feel like if that's part of the correct storytelling of the show, then I think that that's a perfectly fine thing to do. I did a huge 
musical over the last summer with this Phil Collins score and uh, it needed that kind of lighting yeah. and it was very you know there was lots of haze and beams of light and sure. you know uh, lots of cues on the drum beats and that's what it needed if you did that show with just two lights with no color <laughs> it would seem strange <laughs> and not really what the show was about I'd like to see that production though I really would yeah <laughs> So, um, so when, uh, when you think about um, what to work on, what material to work on today, uh, you, you work with a lot of the same uh, people over and over again. I think that's true of all good lighting designers, but, but do you um, pick and choose the material that you work on, or do you pick and choose the person or the company, or is it all about whether you have an opening in your schedule? How do you, how do you uh, well, choose the material? Well, a lot of it, unfortunately, has to do with scheduling. I mean, when you're a lighting designer, you can only be in one place at a one time for a given amount of time. If you work in scenery or costumes or other aspects of it, you can do more things, I think, at the same time because you can be at a tech for one day then go to another theater and be at a tech for another day but with lighting and similarly I think with sound and video and projections you kind of have to be there for the whole time so scheduling is a big part of it there are people I work with all the time and places I work with all the time so I like to continue those relationships but it's always important and good to work with new people and I try and work on as many different things as possible I I think that I've done lots of concerts, I've done dance and opera. I think everything you design impacts something else you design. Mm -hmm. And that's very important. Can you give me an example of that? uh, Sure. Um, uh, Many years ago, while he was still alive, I lit a concert of Richie Havens. Uh The uh, first uh, performer at Woodstock. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Obviously, it wasn't then. And I, I lit a solo concert of his maybe in 2006 or something, and certain ideas for the songs came out of plays I had lit plays yeah. I had designed. Yeah. And certain things I did for that show became ideas, for that concert became ideas I did in other things. And yeah. It could become something that you think about when you're doing a pinter play or a ballet or something. You never really know how the ideas are going to come from one to another. But I think that's one of the great things about working in the arts is being able to do many different things. I think if I said, well, I'm only doing Shakespeare, well, A, I wouldn't work much. And B, you would really just do the same thing over and over again, I, I'm afraid. You'd probably never meet Phil Collins either. Exactly. Well, I've never met Phil Collins or yet Richie either. Oh, exactly. he wasn't there? No, no, no. I did a production. He did the score for the musical of Tarzan. Oh, uh, right. And right, I lit right, a production right. of it this past summer, so yeah, no, he was yeah. not there. Okay. But um, so I just think it's important to really do as many different things as possible. Yeah. And um, have you worked with any young artists uh, of late that uh, have been particularly inspirational to you, present company notwithstanding? Um, well, I thought the, the production of the Greek tragedies that I did here at the Art Museum uh, a year or so ago that Alex uh, directed, Toby, yeah, Alex that Toby, did, yeah. I thought that was pretty great, and I thought that was a really interesting way to use the whole space. You'll be coming back uh, to direct for us again yeah, this summer. Yeah, and, and to deal with these three very difficult plays, 
in sort of a modern way and in a very abstract space, but still make it specific. So I thought that was very interesting. And also having to think about the lighting without any actual real equipment, having to think about what the whole space is and everything. Right, 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 right. Um, I'm curious, um, I know that based on conversations that you and I have had that you are fairly knowledgeable about um, worldly issues like politics and that sort of thing. Um, when a theater director who is interested in politics uh, thinks about what they might do uh, on the stage, it's, you know, this, the obvious choice is to find a play that expresses their feelings about politics. I would think that that's less possible in the, in the more uh, abstract art form that you are involved with. When you're lighting a show, are you thinking about the meaning of the show and about the the underpinning of it whether it's political or a love story or something i mean are you are you working to enhance those ideas oh yeah absolutely and how do you do it how, how do you think about that well a lot of it has to be how much of the space do we see at any given time and hmm. how are the people sculpted with the light and how much of them do we see and where in the story are you? And sometimes it's something very political. Sometimes it's something very romantic. Sometimes it's like, is this a personal story? Is this a public event? Is this a private event? Mm -hmm. And that really becomes about like how much of the, of the, of the space do we see? I know that when we did um, uh, Shape of the Table, you're in, you're in the same room the whole play, mm -hmm. right? You never leave the room. There's not really indication from the playwright about time of day, really. Mm -hmm. And there's not indication that, it's not like they ever turn the lights off, really. I mean, in theory, you would make one cue and you would just leave because it's just one space. Right. But it's really very different than that because sometimes you have lots of people, sometimes you have fewer people. Sometimes they're talking about very personal things. Sometimes they're having very abstract conversations about society mm -hmm. and that all becomes different ideas of what the lighting is doing. So in, in that play, just to, to use that one as an example, we've done it a couple of times here, so some of our listeners may remember it. The, there is a progression in the play. It's a line, linear story, and there's a progression in the play between um, the struggle for uh, freedom from this oppressive um, type of government to the exhilaration and sort of fear involved in finally winning that freedom. Is that part of the process? I mean, did the lighting, could you have walked somebody through that and shown that progression and, uh, as you lit the show? I don't know that you would have seen that progression purely through the lighting, but I think you would have seen that progression with what the people are doing and what the lighting is doing with the people. Uh -huh. I think if you just turned the lights on and showed them cues with nothing going on, it wouldn't have anything to do with that. But if you saw the cues and the people in the action, I think it would all be tied together. I see. Yeah. What's next for you uh, after uh, Ash and Johannesburg? I know you uh, have worked a lot uh, with um, the uh, Nor uh, New Jersey Shakespeare Festival, or now it's called the Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey. You just finished something with them. I did. I just, uh, this past fall, I lit their production of Charlie's Aunt, mm -hmm. which... Uh, you know, it was a sort of a play from a sort of a 1920s English comedy. Yeah. It was actually very funny. It was quite lovely. Sure. I had never worked on that show before. I'd only read it in college, and I, I didn't really know what to expect when I did it, but it was a very lovely, funny production that had strange 
Le relevant themes in it about life right now, which I've found kind of unexpectedly. Yeah. Um, and I know they just announced their new season like only a few days ago, so I'm waiting to see what I will do there this year. Mm -hmm. uh, I have an academic position as well, so I'm in the middle of the new semester. I work for several colleges in Massachusetts. Is that fairly common among lighting designers to have a... A, a lot do. I mean, certainly you have to make a living and, yeah. and live and eat relatively three meals a day. Right. Uh, and I work uh, for the five college dance department, which is um, Amherst, Hampshire, Smith, Mount Holyoke, and UMass Amherst. And we're just starting the new semester, and I have several big shows about to happen as soon as I come back from home from here very good very good and we're going to talk with you about something for next season as well absolutely so, so thank you matthew for joining us today on into the fire we appreciate it and uh, we'll just remind our listeners that the uh, play that matthew will be lighting um, is ash in johannesburg by hannah benitez it runs january 24th through february 10th at the murphy school tickets are burningcold.org or 919-834-4001 thank you matthew adelson for thank joining you. us thank you very much thank you for listening our production of hannah benitez's ash in johannesburg will run from thursday january 24th through sunday february 10th to purchase tickets or for more information, visit our website at burningcold.org or give us a call at 919-834-4001.